Hello and welcome to another episode of the County Cricket Podcast in association with our friends at Bear Crickets. I'm your host, Aaron, aka the Cricket Connoisseur, and joining me on my left for today's special episode of TCCP is none other than up and coming Hampshire seam sensation, John Turner. So, John, first things first, mate, thank you very much for joining me here on the podcast today. It's an absolute pleasure to get you on for a chat about all things county crickets. I have to ask, mate, How's your day been so far? Well, thank you so much for having me on, Aaron. Um, no, it's been been a good day so far. Early start, had a gym session this morning, um, but otherwise quite relaxed after that. And yeah, here yeah, having a good conversation with you now. Well, yes, it is going to be a very good conversation, as is usually the case here on the County Cricket Podcast. We do have a lovely bit of a natter about the greatest sports on the planet and obviously the greatest domestic circuits on earth which is of course county cricket and John talking of the off season because we are actually recording this pretty much at the end of November it's not exactly the start of the season anytime soon but how are you finding your time off I know that you've got the gym sessions you're beginning to up your workload in comparison to last month for example but how are you finding the off season after a very busy 2022? Um, yeah so the off season for me is actually nearly just as busy as the season um, I'm a completely different front though. So I'm a full-time student at the moment uh, down in Exeter University. So obviously cricket-wise, I've starting to ramp up a bit more, been gymming quite a lot um, and cricket slowly working my workloads up, just making sure I don't peak too early. Um, but then on the other front, I've got all my lectures and exams and all those going ahead. So it's been quite busy, um, but thoroughly enjoyable at the moment. Oh, that's excellent here, and obviously very important as well to have that backup aside from the game of cricket. Mm. It really is. I cannot stress that enough. You always need a plan B if the cricket doesn't quite work out. Fingers crossed that it does, of yeah, course, in your case, John. But yeah. what are you studying, if you don't mind me asking? Um, so I'm doing economics and finance. Um, so I'm in my second year at the moment and starting to get quite challenging. Um, yeah, the maths has definitely, definitely been a lot more challenging than I anticipated, but no, it's enjoyable. And I think on the way the world's going at the moment, it's quite fascinating just studying the markets and all the financial decisions of the various governments. So, yeah. It does sound very interesting, that. <laughs> it's not something I think I'd be too proficient in. Not exactly a maths person myself, more of a, a sport, geography and history person myself, mm. but... No, fair play, mate. And as I said, keep up the good work with that. And obviously at the end of it, nice degree to come from it. So we'll be worth it in the end. But John, we're not just here to discuss your university life at the moment. And of course, the off season, we are here to discuss your county cricket journey. So just for the, the newer listeners out there who aren't quite familiar with how our platform actually works. Today, I'm going to be talking to John all about his early cricketing memories and a large chunk of today's podcast will revolve around the mighty Hampshire County Cricket Club, and then we shall end today's episode with a nice chat about the future. But John, before we jump the gun and we get into all of that good stuff then, I want to transport you all the way back to the origins of the John Turner cricketing story. So what were your first ever memories of cricket, either playing or watching this sensational game? Um, so playing and watching probably go hand in hand. Um, so I live live in Johannesburg or lived in Johannesburg, um, about five minutes from the Wondrous Stadium. So 
<laughs> so I could um, basically hear hear the crowds and all of that from home. Um, so we would very whenever there was an international, we would walk down, go watch. Um, so that's probably what got the love of the game into me. Um, but then in terms of playing it, I think I probably when I was around six 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 or seven, um, one of my really good friends, we started like just basically going to the nets together. We had a coach, but not like basically just someone who threw balls at us um, and we just messed around. Um, so I did that for a large portion um, of the week and just really enjoyed it. Um, but then I'd say probably for my dad, he loves sports and we'd always play in the um, garden and throw a ball at each other. So I think that's really where it came from. Um, both my parents love sport and yeah, basically been around cricket the whole time. Well, that is a lovely route into the game. I always love that family connection. I just think it makes it that bit more special. And what a place <laughs> to have on your doorstep. The Wanderers or the Boring, as it's also known, mm. in South Africa. One of the paciest wickets, if not the paciest, now that the Wacker's no longer in, in test usage on the entire planet. And John, we're going to have to kickstart today's podcast <laughs> with a pretty prevalent question, actually, because we do have quite a few South African listeners. But in your opinion... Is the Wanderers the best venue in South Africa? I've probably got to be biased on this. And as you say, the pitch, being a fast bowler, um, there's nothing better than bowling at the Wanderers. I think Newlands is a very, very close contender. It's definitely a lot more scenic. I'll give I'll give it that with the mountain and background. Um, but there is something about the bowling, um, especially when it's full. And the games it's hosted as well, that's been unbelievable. I was, fort- I was actually fortunate enough, I think 2020, to spend quite a lot of time down there and train with a few of the teams and play one or two practice games on the pitch. So, yeah, can definitely vouch for it. Fair enough. It is a lovely venue and very intimidating as well. That walk down with those South Africa fans, they definitely do make it quite the, <laughs> quite the Coliseum, I'd say, mm. as you walk down. But... Yeah, you did actually play a little bit for the the Lions Academy, if I'm not mistaken. Is that correct? Yes, yeah. So before I, before I was meant to come over to the UK, I got involved with the Lions Academy um, just to play some extra cricket and have a bit of coaching. And then through that, obviously that was before lockdown, then lockdown occurred. Then pre uh, post-lockdown, I got involved with the Strikers. So that's basically the Lions' second team. Um, trained with them for maybe three, four months and had, had quite a lot of practice games and one or two with the Lions team at that stage as well. So, yeah, I was fortunate enough to be around those squads and some very good players as well. Yeah, they are a wonderful team, the Lions, one of the most successful teams in South Africa, up there with my team, mm-hmm. the Titans as well. Another, well, literal Titan of South African <laughs> domestic cricket. They are incredibly they are. successful. But, uh, yeah, talking of South Africa then, obviously a very proud cricketing nation. And over the years, they will have produced some absolute superstars of the game. We could list them off all episode long, to be honest, with the likes of Callis, Smith, De Villiers, Mackay Alan Donald, Sean Pollock. The list goes on and on and on. So, John, in those formative years in Johannesburg, having the Wanderers pretty much on your doorstep, which is fantastic, who in the world of cricket itself, aside from your family members, did you almost look up to and try to emulate in those early years per se? Did you have any role models 
in those formative years? Um, I definitely did. It's, as you said, it's quite hard to narrow them down. Um, so Jacques Cullis is an obvious one. So when I was growing up, I wasn't actually a bowler. I was a batsman. So looking at him, I was, loved the way he batted, his cover drive, um, and then the fact he also bowled at the same time. Um, so he was he was probably my biggest role model. Um, then I also loved Dale Stain. The, the aggression he had, the not anger, but just like how he got into the battle and really let the batsman know that he was there in a proper battle. Um, and then ended it off with his celebrations, with his eyes nearly popping out. So I think those two would probably be my two greatest like role models at that stage of my life. Well, two excellent choices. Jacques Cullis, a legend of the game, one of the best all-rounders to ever grace crickets, without a shadow of a doubt. And Dale Stain, just the 439 test wickets for the Stain gun. And as you said, just an icon of the game, that celebration. He looked almost possessed, didn't he? When he came charging in and when he did claim that wicket, the eyes, goodness me, not many more intimidating sights in world cricket, to be completely honest. But you mentioned there, actually, in those formative years, being a batsman. Now, that's very interesting because now, as I'm talking to you, you're a seam bowler. So how did that <laughs> yeah. transition take place in the in the first place? How did that materialise, per se? Um, so it's actually quite funny. I was talking to my mum about it the other day, and she said, so the coach that I initially had when I was like six, seven, eight, I think I had him until probably I was about 10 or 11. Apparently, he said, I'll end up being a fast bowler and I won't be a batsman. She never told me that um, until about like a few months ago, but I found that quite interesting. Um, but it was, so while I was at primary school, uh, I always just focused on my batting. Like the coach at the time never let me bowl. So I always wanted to bowl and he was like, no, just bat, you're not a bowler. So I was like, okay, fair enough. Um, so basically just never bowled. And then I got to grade, I think end of grade six, beginning of grade seven. So 12 or 13 and that so that was our primary school first team and that coach he suddenly started letting me bowl um and i think it also coincided with a bit of a growth spurt so suddenly i was quite a lot bigger than a lot of the other boys and running in and basically just trying to bowl as fast as i could um and it just seemed to work really really enjoyed it so i spent my last year of primary school as a all-rounder opening the bowling batting four, I think. Um, and probably my most successful period of batting still to date, really, <laughs> as sad as that sounds. Um, but yeah, so that that's really when I started bowling. And then during high school, it just went, it just carried on improving. And especially like under Dale Benkenstein, um, he really helped my bowling a lot. And I kind of just forgot about my batting, to tell you the truth. So it's only been in the last like two or three years that I've really wanted to be like, actually, I want to try to get my batting back to like re relatively good spot. Um, but yes, that's basically how it went from being a batsman to a bowler that now kind of can't really bat. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can definitely relate with that, to be honest. Yeah, my batting average isn't even over 10 runs at the moment. So, and that's in village cricket. So, yeah. <laughs> I can relate as a fellow tail ender there, John. Unfortunately, the bowling ability isn't quite the same. Otherwise, I'd be in the county circuit as opposed to talking about it. But before we mention Dale Benkenstein, and obviously he's quite clearly had a big impact on your cricketing journey to date, 
Mm. I just wanted to ask a, a rather nice question, actually. I always ask this to, to bowlers in particular, but as a seamer, what is your favourite aspect of the craft itself? Is it delivering a Yorker? Is it delivering a bouncer? Is it, you know, getting one over your opposition? What is it about seam bowling as an art form which brings you back time and time and time again? Um, I've never actually been asked that before. It's quite a it's quite a tough question. Um, I definitely, like, bowling a bumper and knowing the batsman didn't enjoy it is definitely a great feeling, knowing you've kind of got that, like, intimidation over him. Um, but I'd probably say with the red ball, being able to beat the bat and set a batsman up. So if you, like, you, you know he's okay, he's playing the outswinger well, because he's reading it all about, and then suddenly you just throw a massive inswinger in, and he's got no idea. I reckon that's probably the part of it I love the most. Um, it's not necessarily the pace that's beating him or the like intimidation that's beating him, but there's more the skill and craft. Um, and it's, yeah, it's, as I said, I've never been asked it. And it's obviously something that keeps me coming back through the pain of being a fast bowler. Um, but yeah, I'd probably say it's the skill and the craft and how hard it actually is to get it right. Um, but then when you get it right, the satisfaction of it. Great answer. I, I really do like that. And I completely concur with that last sentiment as well. When you get it right, there aren't many better things, to be honest, in the game of cricket than seeing a good bit of swing bowling. I mean, we've been so privileged for years as England fans with great Jimmy Anderson and Stuart Broad, those two nipping that ball all over the place. It's captivating, isn't it? And mm. we mentioned Dale Stain earlier. I know that's more express pace, but when he's steaming in, bowling those bumpers, those short balls, getting in the batsman's face. I always refer to seam bowling as the rock star of cricket. It's the one which brings people back, isn't it? It's the appealing one to the to the casual cricket fan. And it is tough. It's very difficult at times. I used to be a seamer myself. I bowled five wides in a school game and I became a spinner. So that was my journey as Jimmy Anderson, deadened and buried right on the spot. But obviously it's very tough physically and at times very, very mentally challenging as well, as is the game of cricket in general. So I suppose on the flip side, John, what do you say is the toughest aspect of the art of seam bowling? Um, I think that's probably actually quite a lot easier to answer. When everything you try just doesn't work. So I'd say more, probably more in white ball cricket, but I've experienced it a few times in red ball cricket as well. When the batsmen are just really coming after you and everything you try, they just match and better. Um, and I... I personally like I struggle a bit with it in terms of, like I get really flustered and my head just goes like a million miles an hour. Um, so it's been something I've been working quite hard with with our coaches and Kyle Abbott and Keith Barker. Um, but it's just when you've got no answer for the batsman really, and it's their day. You've just really got to accept. Well, it's their day. Nothing I'm going to do is necessarily going to work, but I've got to deal with it and do the best I can. Um, so I think that's probably the hardest part I find. And then also waking up in the morning on the fourth day of the game. Yeah, I, I knew that was coming. Obviously, the the physical <laughs> and, and strenuous aspect of seam bowling is incredibly difficult. It does wear your body down. It completely exhausts you over the course of a season. But at the same time, that mental side is so important as well. Because as a seam bowler, you've got to be on the money. 
You've mm. got to be on the money. You've got to keep within that radar because if you're spraying it all over the place, you're going to get tonked all over the place. You're going to concede boundary after boundary, hit for a few sixes, hit for a few fours, and all of a sudden, yeah, you're leaking runs. It's it's a lot easier said than done. And in terms of maintaining that level-headedness, I suppose, in the heat of battle, John, do you have any particular approaches, any particular strategies to maintain that even keel, even when the opposition could potentially be in the better form on the day? Um. Yeah, so I've started to just like try slow it down as much as I can. So once I've delivered the ball, if I've gone for a boundary or something just hasn't gone the way I wanted it to, walking back to the mark, I'll try really walk back slowly because I naturally do that quite quickly. And then I'll hopefully have someone at mid-on or mid-off that I can go talk to, have a bit of a like, not necessarily conversation about what's going on, although that will occur, but more just to delay my next delivery, uh, make the batsman wait a bit, let me let myself calm down. Um, so it's basically just taking as much time as possible and to let myself calm down and just think up what's the best next delivery to bowl and how best to execute it. Um, so yeah, just basically taking as much time as I really can. That's a good strategy. It's a very common strategy as well because mm. obviously if you do feel rushed, you're not going to bowl your best delivery. You've got to remain calm in the moment, haven't you? And again, that's very easy for us to say, watching on a live stream or watching in the stands, but I'm guessing in the middle, that is a lot more difficult, isn't it, at times, in particular, if you've been in a little bit of a, a rough patch of form. Yes, yeah, exactly. With When you're coming from a rough patch of form, all you want to do is try and perform as much as you can. So it makes it a lot harder that. Um, I remember having a conversation with Carl Abbott about this. So I think when I first joined Hampshire, beginning of the 2021 season, um, he noticed that I was a bit like that. So he, he's he got like a band on his wrist, which when things aren't going well, he'll kind of like look at and move on his wrist a bit, something to that degree. Um, so he was like, that's what he does. So obviously not necessarily that's what I'm going to do, but kind of come up with something that works for you. Absolutely. And yeah, for Kyle Abbott's, I think that certainly worked over the years. I think back to 2019, 17 for 86 against Somerset's at the Aegeus Bowl. He is an outstanding scene bowler. Kyle, on the off mm. chance that you are listening, invitations always welcome as well <laughs> here on the County Cricket Podcast. We'd love to get you on for a chat about all things county cricket. But before we jump the gun, actually, and start talking about Hampshire, which will take up a large chunk of today's episode, John, I did just want to bring back the conversation to your time in South Africa, and in particular at Hilton College with Dale Benkenstein, because Benke's now gone on to become the head coach of Gloucestershire County Cricket Club. And having done my, my prior research, it seems quite clear that he had quite a profound impact on your early days in, in your cricketing journey. So just how integral of a part did Dale Benkenstein play in terms of getting you on the right path in, in your county cricket journey? Um, yeah, so Benke played a massive role in my cricketing career. Um, I think I first, first came across him at school probably in grade 10. No, actually grade 9. Um, so grade 9, I went and trained with the first team, myself and another fast bowler that's at Durham Uni at the moment. Um, so we went and trained with them and we then played a game a few weeks later with the first team. Um, so that's the first time I came across him. 
but he was always like he's always been massively supportive of me and kind of tell me just to push myself keep doing what you're doing and be the best you can um but i think probably one of the best things which he's done for me which is it'll seem quite strange but so i was in the first team in grade 10 which doesn't like not many people get in the first team in grade 10 um so i think i played three or four games didn't have a great three or four games so he then dropped me and put a grade 12 in instead um so i found that quite hard being dropped but it meant i could go back to like my age group and learn how to be the best in my age group um so i did that for the rest of the season and the start of the next season and then got recall end of grade 10 for the last two games um but i think being dropped there kind of made me be level-headed um lost my ego but and just focus on cricket and enjoy the game again instead of trying to be this oh look at me i'm playing first team type of guy um so that's one of the like unintentional but biggest things he's done for me while at school growing up um and then in grade 11 i think it was he um got myself and my mates in contact with hampshire and organized us to come over for two weeks so that's how like the link started um that was all through him wow so yeah he clearly has played yeah. quite a big role in your in your hampshire journey i didn't realize it was to that extent goodness me so yeah del benkenstein really has been integral and to be honest john you've set me up quite beautifully there for my next question and our next segment which does of course revolve around hampshire county cricket club because up until this point in the episode the vast majority of our conversation has revolved around South Africa and your time in the in the African country. But we haven't really spoken about your time in England so far. So I've got to ask, how did that initial move from South Africa to England actually materialise? How did that come about in the first place? Um, yeah, so that all started, obviously, with Bank again, us in contact, came over for two weeks in 2018 kind of just to experience Hampshire, meet some of the coaches, meet some of the players and see if professional cricket was what we wanted to pursue. Um, and then since then, Hampshire actually came to Hilton twice with their academy, um, stayed at the school and used our facilities to train. So the connection between the two was quite strong. Um, and we the plan was always to come over after school for like a gap year, um, trial at Hampshire and see if anything came about from that. So that was a plan to quite a bit of convincing to convince my parents. Um, but they eventually bought in and subsequently have been pushing me nearly more than I've been pushing myself. Um, but that was the plan. And then COVID happened, um, which was not the plan. So, I was meant to be flying out to England in, I think it was the 14th of April um, in 2020. We went into lockdown, I think two or three weeks before that. So suddenly everything was thrown out the window. Didn't know if I'd ever get the opportunity again. Um, stayed in contact with the coaches at Hampshire and Giles White, the director, and got to, I think it was November of 2020 and at that point i was 
basically signed up to go to university in Cape Town. Um, not giving up on cricket uh, per se, but kind of nearly giving up on the coming to England, pursuing the professional dream. Um, and then Hampshire were like, do not come over, spend the summer with us. We will provide you accommodation and trial with us and see if anything comes from that. So my parents were like, do not, you only live once. COVID was like, you can't plan for that. So don't regret it. So that's then when I came over in March of 2021. Goodness me, um, I'll tell you what, that's, yeah. some, that's some sage advice from your parents, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, no, they, they, always, they always offer a lot of good advice. Um, yeah, so that was into coming into, I think the back end of lockdown then. Um, in March, I had to do 11 days in hotel quarantine, which was quite tough. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't advise anyone to do that. So did that and then came out and met met the Hampshire squad. And since then, yeah, it's, I suppose the rest is history, kind of. It is indeed. And yeah, fast forward, what, a year and a half on the County Cricket Podcast discussing yeah. your journey at Hampshire to date. It's funny how life works out, to be honest, isn't it, John? And mm. you mentioned the Hampshire boys. So I've got a lot of time for Hampshire County Cricket Club. We've had a lot of their players here on the podcast, always been so helpful in terms of coming on and having a chat. And in terms of your initial impressions of the Rose and Crown as a club, what did you make of Hampshire County Cricket Club? and all of those wonderful facilities at the Aegeus Bowl? Um, I think the first thing that struck me, and this was back in 2018, was the facilities. What they've got there is unbelievable. And every time I go back um, from uni during the winter and then obviously for the summer, you just reminded how lucky we are to have what we have. Um, So the facilities are amazing, but the people and the club as a whole um are just as good so when i first came over everyone was so welcoming made me feel comfortable um making sure i was okay and a lot of it came from the senior players which i think counts that much more um and means that much more so i felt really comfortable and like really well taken care of and at this stage i was just a trialist so like there's no reason for anyone to actually really care who i was or worry about me um but the people at Hampshire just naturally do and naturally want to get on with each other so yeah no love my time and love the people there well that is what we want to hear and that will be music to the ears of any Hampshire fans tuning in to today's episodes of TCCP and you mentioned those senior players we've spoken about Carl Abbott's you've got the man the myth the legend himself (laughs) Keith Barker a titan of the county circuit, a legend of my county of Warwickshire. Then you've got Mohammed Abbas of Pakistan. Those three must be incredible role models and almost tutors to have in that Hampshire setup. John, I mean, what was it like actually having those three in particular? I mean, you've got James Fuller, Chris Wood, you've got Brad Wheel as well to learn from. Brad Wheel's an international seam bowler for Scotland, for goodness sake. It's a ridiculous seam attack that you've got down on the south coast. What is it like having that plethora of options to kind of learn off of and almost rub shoulders with down in Southampton? It's Yeah, it's almost unbelievable being able to have access to firstly those three, but then um, uh, Wheelie and Woody and Fuller. It's 
yeah, it is, it's amazing to have access to them. But so Barks has been amazing for me. Um, he's taken me under his shoulder. He really helps me with a lot. Um, he was massive for me in the one day cup. So I had a change of action just before the one day cup during the T20 block. Um, so changed a bit there and came into the competition out of rhythm and not actually feeling that good. So speaking to him and then Pop Welch and um, Kyle Abbott, they kind of like base, basically just taking advice from all three of them and then seeing what works best for me, um, got me kind of into a good rhythm and good, good space to go into the competition. Um, but yeah, to be able to speak to them about anything, even if it's not cricket related, um, life related, so I've had some conversations with Barks about investments and properties and all of those um, aspects, which are just as crucial, I suppose, in life as cricket. So it's not only cricket conversations which occur, but it's more life conversations and some some good fun off the field. Yeah, I can imagine it is. You've definitely got some characters down in that Hampshire dressing room and obviously Keith Hubert, Douglas Barker. What a legend. I could talk about him all day. That man is an absolute icon of county cricket and fingers crossed will not be retiring anytime soon. I know he's just signed a contract extension down at Hampshire. So yeah, very happy to see the big man in action again in 2023. But you mentioned a name there, John, who maybe not everyone is aware of. But if you know county cricket, you know how integral this guy is as a bowling coach. And that is, of course, Graham Welch, who everyone knows as Pop. Now, this man is a Jedi master when it comes to the art of seam bowling. I don't know how he does it, but he turns seam attacks into almost international quality standard almost overnight. I mean, that Hampshire seam attack's ridiculous. The work he did with Warwickshire was outstanding as well in 2021. This might be a difficult question because I've asked this to other seamers in the past before, but what makes Graham Welch so special? What is the secret behind his success as a bowling coach? Why is he so good at his job? It's a very hard question to answer that because I think there are so many different reasons. Um, I think the one reason which most, at least everyone at the club, um, loves the most is he's just like he's really chilled and lets you be you and doesn't want to change you into someone you're not. So I remember when I, I first met him in. January this year, um, came down, spoke to him. I was like, this is what I know I need to work on. Don't really know how to go about it. What do you think? So he was like, okay, let me watch you for a few sessions and you'll see. And he watched me and he was like, I can see what you probably need to work on, but I don't really want to change it yet because I'm not a hundred percent sure. And I don't want to change something for the sake of changing it. So when, when a coach says, there might be something you need to change, but I don't want to change it yet because I don't want to just do something for the sake of it. That gives you a lot of confidence. You know what he's doing isn't just, he's not just doing it because he wants to seem as if he knows something that you don't, or he's a good coach because he can do this or that. Um, he Everything he says has got purpose behind it. There's a reason he'll show you what the reasoning is. And it won't be like, okay, this is what you're doing. It's, okay, well, let's have a conversation about this. And then if you're like, well, it doesn't really feel great. Okay, fine, let's not do that. So it's all about feel, all about conversations and 
kind of like being in a good space, a good mental space. He's a really positive guy. Um, so sometimes I can be a bit negative with myself. And if I bowl a bad ball, I'm like, oh, no, John, that's that's terrible. And he's like, well, how do you know that hasn't just got a wicket? So it's like the whole like, yeah, it's really hard to answer, but the whole like mental side and the way he just approaches conversations and changes here and all of those is probably what makes him the man he is. And he's certainly an excellent man when it comes to the art of seam bowling. He really is one of the elite coaches in England and Wales. The, the things that he's done, as I said, with that Warwickshire attack, this current Hampshire attack of which you're part, John, goodness me, I don't know how on earth he does it, but we're beginning to get some clues then. So in terms of psychology, the applies to the art of seam bowling, obviously allowing individuals to express themselves, which is a big thing in the game of crickets. That is part and parcel of the reason as to why Pop is so good at his job. I'm glad to have learned that from today's podcast. But before we discuss more about 2022, because of course that's when Graham Welch actually joined the club from Warwickshire, funnily enough, I just want to take you back to your Hampshire debut because we haven't actually discussed this so far. But from that initial impression of Hampshire, having all of those facilities, meeting the lads, in 2021, you actually made your debut for the Rose and Crown in the one day cup so could you take us through that what were the emotions like the feelings and of course what was it like to take that first wicket a rather prominent wicket if my memory serves me correctly um yeah so that yeah i was a very proud day that to be given that opportunity um i got the sense a few week ago maybe um that oh, a week before that, sorry, that I might be playing and might get an opportunity. So leading up to that, I was obviously very excited. Um, but having the opportunity to play and just like kind of show what I've got was massive to me. Um, trying not to put myself under too much pressure, but walking out into a stadium with paying fans watching you was obviously new to me, but really, really exciting and something I thoroughly enjoyed. Um, and then being able to open the bowling probably helped a lot, just being able to get those first few balls out the way. Um, and as you say, being able to, I was fortunate enough to get a wicket in my first over. And I think I think um, Sir Alistair Cook was a bit early on my on my half tracker, um, but fortunately, Dutchie was there to grab it. So, yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, that is some wicket to claim. And it wasn't just the fact that you took the wicket of Sir Alistair Cook. You did it with your fifth delivery in list day cricket as well. That's not bad, is it? First over, getting the, the big wicket of Chef. And not only that, figures of one for 42 from your seven overs in that game. But we mentioned you batting earlier. Red Inca on debut, six and a half from six <laughs> balls. So not bad, eh? Yeah, yeah. Not a, not a bad way to start. Um, I remember, I think... I think we had them eight for two after the first two overs. Um, we, I remember we didn't score enough in the game. Um, so unfortunately we ended up losing it, but to have them eight for two and the first two overs was a really, really good position, which we unfortunately couldn't capitalize on. But yeah, it was a great experience. Well, that is excellent here, John. And aside from your list A debut, which I'm guessing would have been tremendously special, getting the wicket of... Sir Alistair Cook, not the, the worst scalp to get on your list day debut at all. In 2022, in May, you made your first class debut for the club. 
So what was that like in terms of the emotions, the feelings associated with that, making your first class debut for Hampshire County Cricket Club, who in recent years really have been a tour de force in Red Bull cricket? I know they haven't quite lifted the county championship as of yet, but they really are a team on the rise. They've been so competitive in Red Bull cricket for the past eight years or so. What was that like stepping out onto that field with that Red Bull and representing Hampshire in a first class game of cricket? I want to say I'm almost more proud um, with my my one first class game than I am with all my red ball, oh sorry, white ball cricket. Um, definitely would have been the case before this year's One Day Cup. Um, it's always it's always a pinnacle to me, red ball cricket. And since I've been at Hampshire, I've always wanted to break into the red ball team and play first class cricket. Um, and that still is my drive and my goal. Um, and I still see it as a pinnacle. So being able to make my first class debut for Hampshire was a massive achievement and something I really enjoyed. Um, and being able to almost lead the bowling attack in that game um, was probably just as good and put a pressure, put a, sorry, put a bit of pressure on me. Um, but I think it was pressure I almost like really wanted and kind of made me really perform and lock into what I was doing and take ownership of like the bowling unit in a way. Um, so yeah, that, that game was a really, really good game for me. I was unfortunate to get injured after our first innings, um, but really enjoyed it and great experience. Well, you most certainly performed well also in that game. I've got to say the figures of 5 for 31 from 16 overs. And I did mention this before the podcast. Obviously, listeners, you wouldn't have heard this, but those are the third best bowling figures on first-class debut in Hampshire's history. So that's not a bad thing to have under your belts at the age of 21, Mr Turner. And in terms of those wickets, do you remember who you actually dismissed from that Sri Lankan development 11? Oh, now now you've asked a tough question. Um, Tell you the truth, I actually don't. There's... A lot of that game, I don't remember besides, I probably think for those wickets in my first over, um, I spent a lot of it on a physio bed. Um, so unfortunately, I don't remember that. Well, no, that's that's fair enough. I'll be here to, to give you a reminder then. Because weirdly enough, actually, I, I mentioned about you taking a wicket with your fifth ball in, in list day cricket. You took one with your fourth in first class cricket, that of Lassith Cruz Puller. Then you also got rid of Nuanindu Fernando. You've got Danajai Lakshan, who's been playing in the Lanka Premier League. That was quite a big wicket to get, in my opinion. Then you've got Santush Gunathalaka and Dunith Wellalaga, the captain of the Sri Lankan under-19s. He is going to be a serious talent. So give it, what, five, ten years, John? That might be another one <laughs> to say I got him out on first-class debut. But that really is an outstanding performance on FC debut. But... Unfortunately, it did end up on a physio table. What was the actual injury, if you don't mind me asking? Um, so I had a grade two hip flexor uh, strain. Um, it wasn't as bad. Well, I didn't think it was as bad as it was. Um, ended up being out for two months or so. So yeah, it wasn't ideal. Um, it probably was a blessing in disguise, though. was able to work with Graham Welch, uh, change one, two things, my action, and was a good lead up into the one day comp. Um, but yeah, disappointing not to be able to finish that game on the field. It is a shame. But then again, at the same time, at least you did leave your mark 
on that game. And luckily it wasn't too ridiculous of an injury because, as you said, you were back in time for the Royal London One Day Cup. And that leads us again quite magnificently into our next conversation, which does, of course, revolve around the 2022 RLODC because you had quite the time of it in this year's tournaments. I know that there are some listeners out there who love their stats a bit like me, absolute badgers out there. The joint second leading wicket taker in the entire tournament alongside Ari Carvelas of Sussex with 20 wickets at 16.70. Now, this included 5 for 25 against Lanks at the Aegeus Bowl and 5 for 41 against Yorkshire in Scarborough. So, John, I've got to ask first and foremost, how would you articulate and assess your performances in the 2022 Royal London One Day Cup? I'm guessing you must be quite chuffed with your outputs in that competition. Yeah, I'm immensely chuffed with the way it went. Um, I think on a personal front, like in terms of how I was bowling, it definitely got better from like the first game towards the to, to the last game, our semi-final. Um, first game, I felt all right. Then the next two games, I felt nowhere. Um, felt like I had no rhythm, really struggling. I think I did an interview for the Hampshire media team and I remember saying in it, I feel like I've got no rhythm. I just need to find something that clicks so I can get going again. Um, and I can't remember which game it was, but it was before the game, again, speaking to Keith Barker. And he was like, just run and bowl as fast as you can. And that's basically when you're at your best. So did that. And from then on, it just seemed to click. Um, everything seemed to go my way. So I was fort- fortunate in that regard Every catch seemed to be taken. Um, every decision, or majority of the decisions, went my way. Um, so yeah, I really, really enjoyed the performance and being able to bowl in tandem with Jack Campbell and Scott Curry, and obviously uh, Dutchy was a great experience. I can imagine it was, and again, that's just a testament, isn't it, to the strength and depth of that Hampshire seam attack. I mean, Curry and Campbell took was it eighteen and seventeen wickets respectively as well. In the competition, and then you've got the enforcer, Ian Holland, aka Dutchy. It's <laughs> it's ludicrous that seam depth. It really is. I wish that quite a few other counties would have that level of of depth in the arsenal. To be honest, but this is going to be another tough question actually, because you mentioned about losing that rhythm, almost losing the the radar at times in that competition, and feeling almost as though the bowling wasn't quite working. What do you think was the catalyst then? behind that that rise to success then? What do you think made you so successful in that competition? Was it a case of confidence? Was it a case of just hitting those right line and lengths? What do you think was the root cause of those increased outputs in this year's One Day Cup? Um, I think it was based off a conversation I had with Barker. I think, it, if I remember correctly, it was away at Derbyshire. Um, I was basically just thinking to myself, just run in as fast as you can and see what happens. And unsurprisingly, it actually worked. So <laughs> so my body held up. And a lot of the time, I'm, I get quite, it's quite strange, but I sometimes get like nervous at the crease um, as I'm about to like let go of the ball. So it's almost just like once I've done that two or three times in a game and like done it to my full potential, it's like, oh, actually, I can do this. Um, so that was probably the catalyst bowled relatively well in that game nothing like extraordinary but that then led on to 
the rest of the comp and just carried on that confidence. And once you've got confidence, it's a lot easier. Um, the hard part is getting out of the trough and the struggles, but once you've got the confidence, just riding it is a lot of fun. I can imagine it is. And yeah, that confidence definitely paid off in this year's competition. It really was staggering, to be honest, John, watching you do your thing. And one game in particular we have to talk about was that Lanx game. I mean, what on earth was that? That was a great game from a from a critting perspective. Not only yourself with the five foot for 25, but Toby Albert as well. Yeah. What a knock that was from Ben Basingstokes. <laughs> yeah, Tobes is... Uh... He got us out of trouble a few times in, in the comp. Um, yeah, to watch him go about his business was really good. He he had a good T20 competition. Um, I think he took a lot of confidence from that into the 50 over comp. So to watch him almost show everyone else what he can do and take ownership of his batting and almost, he, well, he got us over the line more than once. So... For him to be able to do that was great testament to his ability and his skill. Um, but the game as a whole was, I think, the way we went about it was really pleasing, particularly in the field. Um, I think we really dominated them with the ball. And I can't remember exactly what the score was, but I think we had three really early wickets for not so many. Um, so to watch us go about our business against them with the likes of their batsmen was really, really pleasing. I can imagine it was, and yeah, what a game of cricket. Three-wicket win with, funnily enough, yourself at the crease for the winning runs as well, which is quite special. Would you say that was the highlight of the season, John, or would you say the first-class debut was maybe, I don't know, surpassing that? What would you say was your individual highlight from the 2022 season? Um, I'd probably, in terms, if I'm going to pick a game, it would probably be the Lancashire game. Um, you know, to do that against that team and a team we lost to the year before. Um, so I think that's probably my individual highlight in terms of a performance. But as like being involved in a team, probably still also the whole 50 over comp. Um, Although we lost the semi-final, that was that's probably one of my like most memorable games, and not only for bad. I actually really enjoyed playing that game. Um, so it was great to watch Steve go about his business, but at the same time, we being a part of it from our end and being in front, being behind, being in front, being behind. It was just a different way of playing cricket, which I haven't really been exposed to before. So that almost is one of my most memorable games. And for good reason as well. It was a cracking game of cricket, wasn't it? Obviously for Hampshire, unfortunately, on the wrong side of that masterclass from Ollie Robinson and the GOAT himself, Darren Ian Stevens, who needs a contract, by the way. I still cannot believe that as of this recording, at the end of November, a county hasn't signed the GOAT. So if you are listening, any of the other 17 counties, sign him. We need to see Darren Stevens back in county cricket in 2023, but... It was almost written in the stars, wasn't it? After Kent had that slow start, they started to build momentum, winning in the quarters, then obviously winning that electrifying semi-final. Then, yeah, all culminating at Trent Bridge with Steve-O lifting the trophy. What a competition the one-day cup was. And I tell you what, 2023, it's got a lot to live up to, hasn't it? After what we've witnessed over the course of this past summer. 
yeah it's got it's got a massive amount to live up to um i'm sure it will be able to do it it it's quite interesting i spoke to a few fans after i think it was after the semi-final but also after one of our other home games i can't remember which one exactly but there were there were youngsters probably maybe between the ages of like 10 and 14 and they said they preferred watching um the 50 over comp than the 100 which it was obviously it's a very small group so i take that with a pinch of salt but the fact that any youngster said that i'm amazed um and the amount of youngsters and children that were able to come and watch our games was unbelievable the support we had was way more than i thought we would ever have um so it was as a, a competition as a whole last year well this last one has been unbelievable and as you say 2023 has got a lot to live up to it most certainly has but goodness me i think we're all looking forward to another excellent 50 over comp in 2023 i know that obviously in in recent times there has been a lot of questions with regards to the plausibility of 50 over crickets even existing in the future but i mean in my opinion i got into cricket through list a cricket back in 2009 I watched a CB40 match at Edgebaston and 13 years later, here I am. I'm still going to Warwickshire matches, talking about county cricket. And I just love the ebbs and flows of 50 over cricket because you do get almost that, I don't know, the theatre playing out over the course of a day. But unlike in the county championship where it lasts over four days, I suppose from a more casual fan, it's good because you get a result at the end of that day. You do have a winner and a loser as opposed to it eventually petering out to potentially a draw. So... 50 over cricket, if you can get yourself down for a one-day cup game in 2023, get yourself down there. I cannot recommend the one-day cup enough. And yeah, 2022 was thoroughly enjoyable, to say the very least. And talking of those Hampshire fans then, John, before we start talking about the future and wrap up today's episode of the podcast, we did actually have a couple of questions from our wonderful listeners. And our first one comes from Harrison. Harrison, who's been on the podcast before, so shout out to Harrison, always brings in some very good questions for us. But this actually does relate nicely to the Royal London One Day Cup. And he asks, how's the shift in focus in the RLODC, with it being played alongside the 100, benefited you and your development as a professional cricketer? Would you say that the fact that the the RLODC almost becoming that more of a, a development comp in certain ways has actually helped you become a better cricketer? I think it probably has. Um, it's it's meant you're not there are more of us involved. Firstly, um, so we can actually get picked into the teams. Um, but I think it definitely it definitely has. It's it's quite hard. You don't say we're playing against like weaker batsmen or weaker bowlers and all that. But you are missing this. You are missing like the Ben Stokes, the Joss Butler, the Joe Roots. So you're missing like the top top tier of english cricket which means you can almost get into your business a bit more easily you've got a tiny bit more room for error you still don't have much you've still barely got any and you're still bowling against some of the top batsmen in the country um but there is just a slight margin of error which you've got which you don't always you won't have in the t20 stuff and you won't have in the four day stuff um so I'd say it definitely has aided my development personally. Um, how that goes forward in the next few years, I'm not sure. 
because obviously the goal is to eventually be playing in the four-day stuff and T20 stuff. But so far, it's definitely aided my development. Well, that is excellent to hear, John. And yeah, that is a positive, I suppose, of the RLODC becoming that style of format. Obviously, I'm not a massive fan of the 100 Percy speaking, but, you know, like with anything in life, there are positives and negatives to absolutely everything and yeah for younger cricketers that is an obvious positive isn't it we've seen so many youngsters coming through the ranks and almost announcing themselves on a county level so in that sense yeah the one day cup definitely is doing its job and you mentioned the county championship this next question is from gary oliver again gary always brings in some excellent questions for us here at the podcast but he asks if you're hopeful of breaking into that county championship side anytime soon because that's very tough competition for places in that 11 i would argue as a seamer probably the most difficult one to break through in the entire country but i'm guessing heading into the future john very much on the agenda for you personally uh yeah definitely um i think that's definitely the goal to get into that four-day team and try cement my cement position for myself um obviously with Mo Bass, Kyle Abbott, Keith Barker, Brad Wheel, James Fuller ahead of me. Um, it's not so easy, but being able to learn from them and watch them go about their business and try emulate them is definitely a massive positive. And hopefully when I get my opportunity, I've learned enough from them, seen them do what they do best, and I'm able to put my uh, stamp on, on the game. Well, fingers crossed, John that opportunity does present itself sooner rather than later. Maybe in 2023, you never know. The game is very funny, isn't it? And all you need to do, keep on putting yourself in the shop window in second 11 cricket, white ball cricket as well. That opportunity might present itself sooner than you think. So we'll have to wait and see what does happen in 2023 and of course the years beyond. And talking of the future, just to almost wrap up today's episode of the podcast, John, what are your future aspirations in the game from both an individual and a team perspective, I'm guessing that you want to be playing for all three formats for Hampshire County Cricket Club. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that silverware will also be on your mind heading into the future, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so on a team team front, um, silverware is obviously the goal. Um, to be involved in a winning team is, well, something I've never experienced and something I'd love to experience. I remember having a conversation with Joe Weatherly I think it was during the 50 over competition once we realized we were going to get into the semis and we were probably favorites for the semis and favorites to win the comp um and we we're just talking about how those opportunities don't come around that often so to prioritize winning trophies is that's definitely there um and just be able to enjoy it with the team i remember i was at finals day and being able to celebrate with the team and be around the boys for that it's something I'll never forget. Um, even though I wasn't involved, still an unbelievable experience. Uh, then on a personal point of view, obviously all four, all three formats, um, I'd say four-day stuff is my priority at the moment. I'd really, really want to get into that. But then T20, I'd love to be involved. Um, it's where the game's heading. So you've got to be involved in it. You've got to be successful at it if you want to have a career going forward, I think. So it's quite a hard balance to have between the red ball and the white ball, but at the moment, I'm definitely going both routes. 
Well, John, it goes without saying, but obviously myself and everyone here involved at the County Cricket Podcast are wishing yourself and Hampshire nothing but the very best of luck heading into the 2023 season and, of course, the years beyond. I mean, it's such an exciting time, isn't it, to be involved at Hampshire as a club, winning that T20 blast, being competitive across all three formats. Yeah, I do think there's going to be some more silverware heading down to Southampton in years to come. Hopefully not too much. I'd like my county of Warwickshire to win a few trophies as well, might I just add, before anyone gets any ideas. But yeah, just very exciting times and very interested to see how that seam attack performs yet again in 2023. But John Turner, that is essentially it for today's episode of the County Cricket Podcast. Before we say our final goodbyes for the recording, do you have anything to plug or promote? Any social media channels, websites, businesses, anything like that? Um, well, I'm on instagram and twitter and facebook so if anyone fancies following me they can but otherwise i don't really have anything to plug um yeah my instagram's not the most eventful of uh social media channels though well there you go folks we will of course leave the the links to each and every single one of those social media platforms in the podcast description below so if you want to go and give john a follow please feel free to look down there and do so in your own time but that is essentially it from us two here at the County Cricket Podcast for today's episode. So each and every single one of you wonderful listeners out there, thank you very much for tuning in. And as always, guys, we'll see you on the next one.